Um, I'm not Cliff. I know I look just like him. Uh, no, but Cliff is uh, with his uh, wife and son visiting their grandson in North Carolina. So uh, that's what, uh, what they're doing this weekend. And, um, and this week, we are wrapping up our sermon series on the seven churches in Revelation. We've been calling this summer school lessons for our church from the, church, the seven churches in Revelation. And each week, what we've been doing is we've looked at each individual letter to the churches. We've unpacked those and looked, uh, the way we've kind of broken those down is we have a report card to go with the, the theme of summer school. We've had a report card that we've given for each church. We've had uh, homework for each church, and we's, we've also had a reward. And so we're going to wrap everything up this week with a summary of all of it, because we've gone through all seven churches. And uh, what I want to do this morning is to take those uh, the, the letters written to the seven churches and more or less look at the, the overall picture of what Jesus is painting when he's speaking to all seven of them and then to turn that summary back on ourselves and look at it as a mirror at our church and at our society and as Christians today. You guys cool with doing that? So um, this is going to be a little bit different because we don't just have one passage of scripture that we're going to read. I'm going to jump through each one of them and read part of each letter. And so we're going to have the, the verses on the screen. And I encourage you to, to flip there in your Bible. It's Revelations, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, and we'll get going in there. Let me pray for us while you flip there. Father, thank you for this morning, and, and uh, thank you for that rich time of worship. Uh, man, uh, God, we do look to you. I, I pray that we are people who do look to you, that we are people who um, know where our help comes from, and that, Lord, you give us the wisdom and the vision to see things like you do, not from our earthly perspective. Oh, Lord, that is so rich, Lord. And I ask that this time of, of opening your word and reflecting on what you're communicating to us through it, um, I, I ask that you do that very thing, that you open up my eyes and mind and our eyes and mind to see things the way that you do, that I may communicate your word exactly the way that you want me to. And if there's anything I shouldn't say that you keep me from saying it. Lord, we are ready to hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, we're just going to jump right in because we got a lot to cover. So um, as, you, as I mentioned, we've been looking at every church, all seven churches. We're going to look at all of them this morning. We're going to read part uh, of passages of your part of the letters um, for each church. And so what I want to do first is look back at each church. And we're going to look more or less at the report card. I'm not going to give the report card for every church like we've done every week. And what I'm going to do is instead we're going to read a part. We're going to talk about it briefly. And what I want to do is something we've done just a little bit each week. I want to relate to our modern time if this church existed today, what would it more or less look like? And so, um, so jump with me to Ephesians, or not Ephesians, sorry, Revelation, but we're going to look at Ephesus. <laughs> uh, so Revelation 2, 2 and 5, and we'll look at the church in Ephesus. Jesus says this to them, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those 
who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Man, those are great things. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so, the church in Ephesus is a church that has patiently endured with Christ, which is a wonderful thing. They've remained faithful to him. They hold fast to good doctrine and good teaching, which is awesome, right? They rejected false teachers. Um, however, they've neglected love for one another. And so just like uh, all these churches, there's five churches that have good remarks and bad remarks from Jesus. And then there's two churches that have only good remarks. And so we're going to look at all of them. But like this, in this church, they have good and bad remarks. There's good things to be commended, but yet there's bad things. This is a church, if we were to look at it and compare it to today, this would be a church that has a wonderfully imperfectly crafted doctrinal statement. Uh, they, they, they make sure that everyone uh, knows the doctrines of, of uh, what we need to believe. They, they, they make sure that everyone has a theological education or understanding. Um, and they, they do all of this uh, with loving intent. But the thing is, their life and when they're interacting with the world doesn't look very loving at all. They're a church that is harsh and unloving. They can articulate correct doctrine. But when you look at their lives, it's absent of love for God and love for others. And I'm going to ask this with every church. Is this us? Are we people who oh, we care more? And I, I'll ask this about myself because I can fall into this really easily. Care more about um, intellectual assent than I care about heart change. It's about knowing all the right things. But if, if, if I know it, it's good enough. It doesn't, I don't have to actually live it. I hope this isn't us. But I wonder if we all stray into this time to time. And have we gotten to this place as a church, not only this one, but as an American church? Let's look at Smyrna. Uh, Smyrna, however you want to say them. Revelation 2, 9 is what I want to read to you. Jesus, in, in speaking to Smyrna, says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. I know your tribulation and poverty and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And he goes on actually to say that Jesus says he has nothing to hold against them, nothing to hold against this church. Um, but he knows their tribulation and poverty. Uh, this church is one of the two churches where there's not negative remarks about them. And so uh, they're a steadfast church during trial and poverty and persecution. Uh, Jesus has nothing against them. And this is a church, if we were to relate this to the modern time, this is a church that's poor and persecuted, yet they're undeterred because they care uh, and concerned a lot more for building the kingdom of God than they are with earthly prosperity. And so they are undeterred uh, in the midst of adversity. And I wonder, is this us? I would... I'll go out on a limb here. I would be willing to say that it's not. 
right? Uh, the American church, and this church in particular, doesn't really see persecution. Um, but there are churches all over the world in Asia, China, uh, the Middle East, India, um, in parts of Africa that see extreme persecution. And yet they're undeterred and care more about building the kingdom of God than they do about their earthly, temporary prosperity. I think we have a lot to learn from those churches. But is this us? I don't know. We're going to jump to the next one. We're just going to try to rapid fire so we can get through all of them. So uh, Pergamum is the next one. Uh, Revelation 2, 13 and 14. If you'll look there with me, Jesus says this to the church in Pergamum. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Man, what a good thing. But I have this, or I have a few things against you. Oh man, this is scary. He's got a few things. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols, and sacrifice, or, sorry, and practice sexual immorality. And so, uh, you might remember, recall, Cliff uh, preached on this passage, and this was a church that they, uh, they have kept the faith in the midst of persecution. Um, like the church in Smyrna, they've kept the faith in the mix of, midst of persecution, but unlike Smyrna, they're beginning to compromise their teaching. And they're straying from teaching the truth because it's getting them into a little bit of trouble. It's getting a little bit difficult. And so since they're straying from teaching the truth, it's actually causing people to stumble and fall out of the faith. And in our modern context, I, at least when I think about a church that would be this way, I think of a church that um, cares a lot more about staying relevant than staying truthful. Uh, and there's a lot of churches that fall into this and care a lot more about staying relevant than staying truthful and will compromise the truth so they can keep people's behinds in the pews on Sundays. As long as we have a room full of people, then we must be doing what God has called us to, even though we're watering down what Scripture actually says and not teaching the truth. Um, my question is, are we doing this? Are we doing this maybe as a church or maybe as a society or as Christians as a whole? Are you doing this in your life? Are you compromising the truth of God so that you can make Christianity seem more palatable to someone else in your workplace? Are you compromising what you believe so that you can be welcomed into a group of people? I mean, I don't know. But I hope that we don't do this. Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira is uh, verses 19 through 20 in chapter 2. And I got to preach this one a few weeks ago. It was a good one. Uh, Jesus says this to him, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. That is awesome. Like, don't you want Jesus to say that to you? I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and that your works are ever growing. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed 
to idols. So, uh, you might remember, uh, maybe you were here, maybe you weren't. Uh, a few weeks ago, I preached on this, and, and I brought up the idea that this was a church that had wonderful love for each other. Uh, on the outside, this was a beautiful church full of love, and they faithfully served each other um, so much that their works were ever-increasing. It's a wonderful thing. It's kind of the opposite of what's going on in Ephesus, right? That their love is ever increasing. But they've allowed false teachers to come in among them and have given those false teachers a stage to preach their evil message. And in their effort to be a loving church, they've actually led people astray. And so uh, to relate this to our modern time and looking at the church, I think of this as a church that has confused love and tolerance. Uh, I spoke about this a few weeks ago. We live in a society that is very confused about what tolerance even is. Um, and so uh, this church has confused the fact that love is tolerant, but tolerance isn't always loving. And uh, they've confused that, and they've allowed, in the effort to be a tolerant and loving church, they've allowed someone to come in and teach something that's false. And it's led people astray. In the end, it's actually very unloving to tolerate false teaching. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago. And um, we see that in, I think I can see that in our modern church a lot. Uh, we have a lot of false teachers out there. And I pray that you don't follow them. I pray that you don't buy their books. Um, if you want to know who some of them are, you can ask me afterward. Um, or uh, if you're not sure whether you are reading or listening to someone who I would say is a false teacher, uh, you can ask me. And I, I can tell you um, what I think. But, uh, or ask Cliff or Dan. But uh, there are a lot of them out there who are seeking to build uh, something for their own gain, teaching things that aren't truthful. And may we be a church that doesn't tolerate false teaching, um, but instead holds fast to the truth of the word of God. Thyatira. Uh, let's look at Sardis now. Jumping into chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I know your works, Jesus says. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So this church is one that looks vibrant and happening on the outside. Right? Got a lot of people coming on Sunday. Uh, they have an awesome worship service. Their music is so good. Everything looks really, really good on the outside. But on the inside, they're actually dead. And so, uh, in, when I think about modern Christians, and this is kind of what came to me this week, and um, I don't know. Uh, I see it a lot. So, when I think about modern Christians, I think of people who, uh, who are this way are the people that are more interested in posting Scripture on their Facebook for other people to see than they are about actually reading the Word of God taking things out of context, making it look as though they're believers um, to the world, but the truth is, they don't know they're left from the right. And 
Um, this also in the church, I think could look very much like a church that has awesome worship services, as I mentioned, where people are regularly coming to the altar, weeping, wailing, all these different things. But then whenever they leave these doors, they act and live as if God doesn't even exist. And so it's all about putting on a mask and looking a certain way in front of certain people and acting the part in when you're around these people. But then when you're not around them, none of it really matters. Um, on the outside, things look great, but on the inside, they're dead. Is this us? I hope not. I don't think so. Is it you? I don't know. Philadelphia. Revelation 3.8. This is one of the good churches. Yay. Um, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and you, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And as with the other good church, Jesus says that he has nothing against them. So this is a church that has remained faithful to the Lord even though they have not seen him move in power in their city yet which I think is uh, really important to understand. God has yet to move through them in power, and yet they're faithful to him. So this is really a church that's opposite of Sardis, the one that I just mentioned. On the outside, they don't look awesome. They don't have awesome worship services. Um, they don't have cool rallies. They don't make really good social media posts, right? But instead, they're a church that's full of people who are faithful to the Lord, who spend time with him every day, read his word, spend time in prayer, gather together and take genuine interest in each other's spiritual vitality. And so on the outside, they look kind of boring. So they're just doing everything the way I guess it's supposed to be done, right? Um, they look kind of boring, but on the inside, God is at work in each one of them individually. And Jesus says he has nothing against them. Is this us? Man, I hope so right? Am I the only one that hopes this is us? I want this to be me. I want this to be our church. I don't know what it, if it is. I, I think it is in a lot of ways that we are faithfully pursuing the Lord, knowing that he's faithful. And um, we may not have seen him move in power yet, but we trust that he will. Man, I hope that's us. I hope that's me. Um, and then uh, Laodicea, say, so uh, this is Revelation 3, 15 through 17, and this one is the doozy. We're going to stop here for a moment and just, because this is, uh, I think this speaks to the American church and to us individually and as a church a lot. And so um, Laodicea, verses 15 through 17 of chapter 3, Jesus says this, I know your works. It's a common theme, right? He knows our works. You are neither hot, cold nor hot. Would that you would rather that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, 
poor, blind, naked. The church of Laodicea is the complacent church. Content with being cultural Christians and living a decent life. The church is a group of people who, they go to church services. And they're there. They take, they, they listen on Sundays. They're there on Sundays. And they tithe. And they even go to Sunday school. Maybe even teach Sunday school. But they have no real interest in reading God's word during the week. They have no real need to pray. They have no real need for discipleship. They have no real need for any of it. Why? Because they're just fine on their own. Their life is good. They're rich. They're healthy and prosperous by the world's standards. But the truth is that they're completely and utterly spiritually bankrupt. And they're to be, as Jesus says here, pitied. Pitied above all the other churches, even though it looks like their life is perfect on the outside. And so because of that, they've created a Christianity where they don't need Jesus. And so uh, verse 20 is a verse that's so often mistaught in the church. There was, a, for a long time, Dan and I were talking about this this week, is uh, for a long time, this was a passage that was used for evangelism, which, I mean... I mean, it, it seems like a good one use, to use for evangelism, but that's not the context. This is a letter written to a church of believers who have rejected Jesus. And um, Jesus says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is a church that he's speaking to. They've made Christianity... And, and their life all about independence from Christ and not dependence on Christ. And so this is shown by the fact that Jesus is on the outside of the church, knocking on the door, wanting to be let in. They've created a Christianity that's about self-sufficiency and have rejected dependence on Jesus. They've created something that's not Christianity at all, giving lip service to Christ. But their life is far from him. They don't really need him. Because they've got their money. And is this us? Helotus is one of the most prosperous uh, financially zip codes in the state of Texas. Which is one of the most prosperous, state of Texas is one of the most prosperous places in the entire world. If there was any society and group of people and church that we could say might fit this realm of being really well off and not needing Jesus. I think it would be this area. And I just, I really hope that we're not that way. Um, that we're, we're not people, I mean, we, Cliff has brought it up a few times in some sermons that there are, it almost seems as though some people are, um, so they're staying away during the pandemic, which I get for health reasons and different stuff like that. You know, I, I totally understand. Um, but they're, they're not coming to services. 
And, and sometimes, you know, we've heard other pastors bring this up and say, they, we kind of wonder if some people are, they're still giving financially. If they're almost, they're doing, giving financially so that the church just leaves them alone. Don't come calling. Don't worry about us. We'll give to you. Just leave us alone. We're good. We don't need Jesus. We don't need you. We don't need the church. We don't need any of this. Like, we're good. Let's pacify you. And I wonder, um, not saying that we see this in our church in particular, but I wonder, as, as a whole, is this the American church? Are we content with giving lip service to Jesus? Um, but really, truthfully, our life's pretty good. We don't really need him. So what, why do we need prayer? Why do we need to read his word? Is this us? So, um, you're like, Pierce, all of that was really heavy. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so in looking at these churches and reflecting on these churches, um, I can see multiple ways that, these, uh, that we are like these churches in the negative, and I can also see ways that we're like these churches in the good as well. I think we're a very healthy church in a lot of ways. I think God is moving in our church in incredible ways. I think people, if you remember 300 and 300 uh, before the pandemic, we saw a lot of people come to Christ. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, people who are new believers grow in Christ through this church. We've seen incredible things, people be healed. We've seen um, God move in this church in incredible ways. And so um, God is faithful in, to this church in the midst of of all of this. But um, I also, in thinking about our report card, I was thinking about how, um, as a church, we are unlike the one, the seven here in Revelation, in the sense that we're still around. Um, those ones aren't, or maybe they are barely hanging on. Um, but we are still around. And so I was thinking this week about we're, we have some of the good and some of the bad and some of the different things we're struggling with. So what should our report card, uh, what should our grade be? And I was never received one of these grades, but this week I was thinking about it and I decided that as a church we should receive the grade of incomplete. That not enough has been, oh, I realized down in the bottom I didn't change Laodicea from D minus, but um, I think we should receive an incomplete. Um, and the reason why is because we still have room to grow. We still have the ability to change. We still can correct and modify and reorient. We still have a second chance as a church to reorient ourselves towards what God desires for us. And there's room for improvement in a lot of places. Uh, I love this church. I think this church is great. I love my marriage. I think my marriage is great. I love my relationship with my daughter. I think that is great. I love my relationship with my parents. I think that's great. I love lots of things in my life, but if, I'm re if I refuse to see the areas where it can grow and get better, then I'm delusional. Every marriage can get better. Every friendship can get better. Every church can grow. And so uh, we have room for improvement in our love and service toward one another, in our evangelism and discipleship. We have room for improvement in how open and honest and vulnerable we are with other believers in the church. We have room for improvement in how welcoming we are to outsiders. And I mean more than just giving someone a high five on a Sunday morning. Are you welcoming someone into your life? Or is it just okay to give them a dab on, the, on Sunday morning? 
Um, we have room for improvement in how generously we live. We have room for improvement in how boldly we carry the gospel message. We have room for improvement in how missional we are in our workplaces and the world. Um, we have significant room for improvement in a lot of areas. And my hope is that as we become, or that we become a church who's not willing to accept an incomplete grade, but we strive after that A+, that illustrative A+. That we may be a church who is always striving to grow in, into the church that really Jesus has created us to be. Uh, that, we, that we not rest on our laurels or rest on our past achievements. Because um, it's very easy to say, man, we are a really evangelistic church in 2019 during 300 and 300. That we not rest on our past achievements, but always be pushing ahead toward the finish line of the race that was set before us in Christ. Um, so how do we do that? And the rest of this is going to go really quick. Um, so our homework is how we do that. It's to repent and hear what God is saying. That's our homework. Uh, repent, real easy. Jesus told five of the seven churches to repent. The only two he didn't say to repent are the two that he didn't have anything against. It's hard to repent, yes? It is. It's hard to recognize that we're wrong and to turn away from that and to follow Christ. Um, but that's what we're called to do. And as believers, we should be people who are known for our repentance. Um, that is the mark of a true believer, someone who is always willing and ready to repent. Um, are we people who are that way? We should be. It shouldn't be that difficult for us, even though it's really difficult for me. Um, and I'm sure it is for you. Uh, we should be people who repent. And we do what? After we repent, we follow what God has, ha has for us. Well, how do we know what God has called us to do and, and to live out as a church and as individuals? We have to hear what God is saying. So where has God spoken to us? In his word, Right? So we don't have to, we don't have to wait and, and try to figure out, you know, listen to the wind as it passes by, hoping that God is whispering in it. Instead, we can read his word. He has spoken to us through it. But how, here's the thing. How can you heed God's word and live God's word unless you read God's word? Yeah, see what I did there? In order to heed it, we have to read it. And I think that a lot of issues in the American church and, and as individuals in our walk with Christ would be, fixed if we were just people who are simply willing to spend time daily in God's word. Reflect on it, hide it in our heart, spend time in prayer. I think a lot of issues would be solved in doing that and then applying what God calls us to in scripture, what he calls his church to do. It's through repentance and hearing and responding to God's word that our hearts and lives are transformed into the image of Christ and that we begin to look like the church that Jesus wants us to look like in the end. And so um, the way we get there is repentance and hearing what God is saying, um, which he says uh, to every single, all seven of the churches, that he who has an ear may hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I pray that we have the ears to hear him. And then last, lastly, our reward. Um, Jesus states a reward that he gives to every single church, and they're actually all very similar. And so uh, our, our reward, essentially, in summary, is eternal life with Christ. That's our reward. To Ephesus, he says that the reward is to enter into God's paradise and to be with him eternally. To Smyrna, he says that the reward is to receive the crown of life um, and uh, that they will not experience e eternal death. 
To Pergamum, he says that they will receive a new eternal name. To Thyatira, he says that uh, they will receive authority over the nations and Christ himself. To Sardis, he says that they will be clothed in pure white and have their name written in the book of life, which will never be blotted out. Um, to Philadelphia, he says that he will make them a pillar in the eternal temple of God and have God's name eternally marked on them. So in other words, they're marked as people uh, of God and that will never be taken away. And to Laodicea, he says that their reward is that they will, be, they will sit with Jesus on his throne. Um, this is the reward for those who have placed their faith in Christ and persevere to the end. People who exemplify repentance and hear what God is saying in their life. Um, they are people who in the end will experience eternal life with Christ. And here's the really cool thing, though. The eternal life isn't just for the end. It actually begins now. Um, it, it starts right now. You get a taste of eternity right now when you do, uh, when you're someone who repents and, and spends time with the Lord. He begins to mold you and shape you into the person who you will be for eternity. Um, and so that's what's really cool. But, but the, the neat thing is, as believers, we know the end is what Jesus is really communicating to these seven churches. That in the mix of all of the good and the bad, the end is known. Jesus has already won the victory. It hasn't been finally commenced, but he has won. And um, the end is that we have a real Savior who is going to come back for us. And he's going to lift himself, or lift, uh, lift us up to himself for all of eternity. That we will be with him for eternity, and we will be eternally satisfied in him. And I'm not going to speculate as to what heaven and eternity will look like, but I do know that we will be satisfied in him. There will be no more uh, pain and sorrow brought by the brokenness of sin, but instead we'll be completely satisfied and enjoy Christ forever. That's the end, and that's the, the promise that Christ gives us in the end. And so the fact that we know that this is the end should empower us to live boldly in the here and now. That's what should happen. That it should empower us to live boldly in the here and now. That we no longer need to live as people who are fearful of persecution. We no longer need to be people who are hoarding our riches because we're scared of the, and fearful of the famine to come. We no longer need to be people who hold back our evangelism but because we're scared of social backlash. Or, or no longer need to be people who um, put on a religious mask to appear a certain way and appear holy all the while we're broken and hurting inside. We no longer need to be people who lead out of anger because we're fearful that our way of life is going to change. We no longer need to do any of these things. Because we know that we are eternally secure in Christ. And that should empower us to live generous, loving, meek, peaceful, patient, kind, truth-loving, evangelistic, self-sacrificial, kind, loving lives. Those are all things that Christ commends in the seven churches. And I pray that as we repent, as we seek God in his word that we more and more every day grow into people who exemplify those things. Can we try that? Let's pray 
And thank you for bearing with me. This is a difficult sermon in the sense that I had so much to cover. Um, so there are no fun illustrations or videos, but there is a lot there, and I, I pray that God spoke to you through it. Um, if you'll stand with me, let's pray together. Father, there's so much there, and I just ask that this word be an encouraging one, because in the end, that's what it's really meant to be. Um, we can look at a laundry list of things that we're not doing and think, man, how are we ever going to measure up? Um, but the truth is that there is grace upon grace for those who are simply willing to repent. Um, there's grace upon grace for those who are broken and messed up. People like me. And so, Lord, I, I just ask this morning that you help us to see the truth that uh, the victory is already won. All we need to do is follow you. You will guide us. You will guide your church into eternal glory. That you will use us to the end that you desire us to be used. And that you work mightily here in Holotus through us. Um, be with us as we continue to praise and worship you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.